0: welcome to done and done i'm alicia your hostess on this podcast journey all things dominic dunn where nothing is linear and everything is connected today we're going to continue our journey into the romance maybe that's not exactly the right word of jacqueline bouvier and jack kennedy what happens next to get these kids together let's investigate At the end of the last episode, we left Jacqueline breaking the news to Jack Kennedy that it does turn out that nine months is too long to wait for a follow-up phone call. See, Jacqueline has not been sitting on her laurels waiting for you all year long, Jack Kennedy. You remember that Jacqueline was headed to Europe that summer with her sister, Lee. And when in Paris, you naturally resume your affair with Jack Marquand. Jacqueline is still head over heels in love with Jack and his wit and his sense of humor. And it's all wonderful until Jacqueline comes home and out riding one day with her very mean mother, Janet, Jacqueline lets it all spill out. Her love, her adoration for Jack Marquand, as well as her plans to marry him. And Mama Janet is going to have none of this. She will tell Jacqueline Jack Marquand is a drunk and he doesn't have any real money. Under no circumstances, she will yell at Jacqueline. Is she even allowed to see him again or proceed with any kind of communication with Jack Marquand? Jacqueline responds, "Mummy, I'm a grown woman. You can't tell me whom I can see and whom I can't. Janet will strike her daughter against both cheeks. John Demi Gates, a friend of Jacqueline's and one of her former beau, will recall that after that, I started getting a lot of agitated phone calls from Jackie. She didn't know where to turn. And it was at this highly vulnerable moment in her life that she thought she had found protection in the arms of Johnny Houston. So who's Johnny Houston? Johnny Houston Jr. is a tall, attractive Yale man. He's the right kind of man. He sells stocks and bonds on Wall Street. Exactly the right kind of guy and the kind of guy that Jacqueline has never, ever wanted. But you see, Johnny's sisters have gone to school at Miss Porter's with Jacqueline. And Johnny's mother is related into the ultra-rich Harkness family. We talked before about the Auchincloss family, and how and how they are part of that Standard Oil money. When you hear the name Harkness, I want you to think Standard Oil money as well. We have a whole Harkness spin coming in the future, but I need you to know that Johnny Houston, the right credentials, the right family, part of the Harkness clan. Additionally, Johnny's father is a friend of. Jacqueline's stepfather, Hugh Auchincloss, and it is him who will set these kids up in December of 1951. In no time at all, January 1952, the New York Times has an engagement announcement posted for Jacqueline and Johnny, and they're going to be married the following June. Jacqueline's father, Jack Bouvier, Blackjack, loves this idea. He thinks it's great because Jacqueline would be close to him in New York City, but all of Jacqueline's friends are worried. They see that Johnny doesn't really spark any joy in Jacqueline. There's a definite lack of love. Even at their engagement party, they barely speak to each other. Now, Mama Janet, as well as Charlie Bartlett, think that Johnny Houston is nowhere good enough for Jacqueline. Johnny Houston even knows that Janet is not fond of this match. He will say, her mother deemed me no great catch. Janet asked me how much money I was making and I told her $17,000. Translated into today's figures, this is somewhere in the mid $150,000 range, which is a lot of money, but it's not Auchincloss kind of cash. Houston continues, my prospects for making more money were reasonable but not assured. Consequently, she was vehemently opposed to the match. Dad likes it. Mom hates it. So poor Jacqueline once again caught in the middle. That winter, John Auchincloss, who, remember, was in diplomatic service, will give a party at his house in Georgetown, to which he invites Janet and Hugh Auchincloss, as well as Jacqueline and John Houston, He will also ask his brother Louis, the lawyer and writer who had just published his third novel called Sybil, to stop by and have a drink. At this party, Janet announces that we have some important news. Jackie and John are engaged to be married. But Louis Auchincloss recalls something different. He will say... But I noticed that Janet was in a bad mood. She obviously didn't like or believe in the engagement. Jackie and I got into a conversation about books. Jackie had read my novel, Sybil, which was about a girl who marries a rich but dull man and leads a life drained of all energy. Jackie will tell Lewis at this party, My fate is to become Sybil Bouvier Houston. The dreary little girl in your novel. Louis Auchincloss says, And it suddenly came over me that she would never marry Houston. Jackie wasn't this soft little passive girlish person. She was tough, very tough. The major motivation in Jackie's life was money. She loved money. And I had the curious conviction that this whole evening wasn't real and that her whole destiny would be different. And friends, it was, because two weeks after that February phone call from Jack Kennedy, Jacqueline is headed down with her camera to the office of John F. Kennedy, member of Congress, to use her new inquiring girl photographer job to see him. This is when Jacqueline will take his picture and do a puff piece on him for the paper. Now at this time, Jack Kennedy does look a little worse for wear let's remember that he has just recovered from near-death overseas. But Jacqueline, on the other hand, has had her hair cut short, she's frosted it with blonde highlights, and she appears much more sophisticated and grown up than she did just mere months ago. Well, except for the green fingernails. Jacqueline has green fingernails from the time spent in the darkroom with developing fluid, but alas, Jacqueline and Jack are talking and Jack is asking questions to Jacqueline and she is pulling out old columns and pictures and Jack will finally see the sapphire and diamond ring that I'm sure Jacqueline is flashing pretty hard. Jack will ask who the lucky fella is and Jacqueline says she has met the man of her dreams. Too late, hopes of love dashed, we're going to take a really quick break now to hear a word from our sponsors. When we come back on the flip, the rest of the story. Oh, poor Jack Kennedy. His hopes are dashed. He's seen the ring. Jacqueline is engaged. The window has closed. But not yet, because fate will intervene one night. Jacqueline is invited to attend the last session of, of the dancing class for the 1951-1952 social season. This dancing class is a subscription dance that has been a thing in Washington, D.C. since before World War I. It is where fashionable and wealthy couples come together to learn the new dance moves, the turkey trot, the Charleston, the twist. You get my drift. This dancing class is a big deal, and it turns out that Johnny Houston can't make it down from New York City. So Jacqueline is like, what do I do? And her friend, Martha Bartlett, remember Charlie's wife, is like, well, why don't you invite old Jack Kennedy? Hey, that's a great idea. Here we have another spring night in May. There are dozens and dozens of pre-dance dinners. Both Jacqueline and her sister, Caroline Lee, host a pre-dance dinner. Who's attending this big dancing class? Well, Jacqueline and Jack, Jacqueline's sister, Lee, and her new boyfriend, Michael Canfield. Few other folks tag along, Jack's friend, Langdon Marvin, as well as Gloria Emerson. All the couples get to the Sulgrave Club a little after 11 p.m. that night. Let's set the stage here, friends. There are a few hundred people in the ballroom. Men are in white ties and tails. All the gals are in strapless gowns. And Jacqueline is looking good. And everything's going pretty great. Until Jacqueline goes to the bathroom and Jack takes this opportunity of a little bathroom break to hit on another woman. Jack Kennedy will cut in on this woman dancing with her husband, where Jack Kennedy tries to pick her up. And this lady's like, hey, I'm married, dude. What are you thinking of? Right about this time, Jacqueline is tapping on Jack's shoulder like, let's move along. But Jack and Jackie dance, and it's one of those magic moments. The Meyer Davis Orchestra will play from this moment on, and sparks are flying. There is a brushing of lips, and Jacqueline is like, hey... This is probably time to announce my disengagement from Johnny Houston, which she does. This was back in May, so let's move up to the July 4th weekend. So apropos, we're doing this story on this particular day. Jack Kennedy will invite Jacqueline up to Hyannisport for the Independence Day weekend to meet all of his family. This does not go great in a lot of ways. Jacqueline arrives in Roman sandals with straps crisscrossed applesauce up her calves, and Jack's sisters, who get around in the summer in old tennis shirts and sneakers, are like, wow, this girl is a pretentious snob and we hate her. Jack's sisters will perceive Jacqueline as a threat, and they're not even low-key mean about it, Jack, as the oldest now surviving son, has become the focal point for the family. It is Jack, Jack, Jack all the time. It is Jack and all of his ambitions, and the family's looking at Jacqueline like she is definitely going to rock the boat. The Kennedy family, his sisters at least, all want Jack to find a nice girl like Ethel Skakel proper political wife, tough and resilient, a hand shaker, and a chicken eater at fundraisers. But see, that's not what Jack wants. His whole life, remember, he doesn't think he's going to live to be over 40. He's wanting to cut himself loose from all of the nonsense and pretension. Jack flirts with death all the time. His favorite song, Kennedy's, is is Frank Sinatra's all or nothing at all. I want you to know that Jack Kennedy is not settling for anything less that is absolutely everything. And Jack adores Jacqueline's elegant old money, her savoir faire. She makes him feel out of the shadow from not only his father, but his deceased older brother, Joe Jr. And hearken back to all of that advice that Jacqueline Received from her father, Jack Bouvier. Make him feel like he's the only one in the world. Keep all of your attention and focus on him. Jacqueline does this with Jack. In turn, Jack Kennedy feels very free around Jacqueline. Lim Billings, a great friend of the Kennedy family, will say about this relationship he, Jack, saw her, Jacqueline, as a kindred spirit. They had both taken circumstances that weren't the best in the world when they were younger and learned to make themselves up as they went along. Lim Billings will also contribute that he mourned with Jacqueline before she gets married to Jack. See, Lim Billings is so afraid that Jacqueline will be disappointed in a husband that is a complete and total womanizer. And Lim Billings already knows that Jack is never going to be faithful to Jacqueline. But Jacqueline, Leo girl, is going to take it as a challenge. We know she's going to lose this challenge, but she will take it anyway. At dinner that night in Hyannis Port, there are 16 at the table. It is big and loud and nothing like any dinner that has ever been given in the Auchincloss home. Dinner is a battle in the Kennedy house. Everyone is yelling and competing and calling each other out for the day's tennis activities or golf action. It's a very different kind of family dinner. After this boisterous dinner, all the Kennedys and Jacqueline will head down to the screening room, located downstairs where the new Doris Day movie called The Winning Team is being shown. This film is about Grover Cleveland Alexander, who is a baseball pitching great, Ironically enough, that film also stars future president Ronald Reagan. Now this is a little creepy, want to give you a heads up, because during the showing of the movie, old Papa Joe Kennedy is going to tap Jacqueline on the shoulder and motion for her to follow him. To be fair, this is not quite as terrible as old Papa Joe coming on to all of his daughter's friends when they bring friends to the home in Hyannisport. Joe Kennedy, kind of a slimy creeper. But Jacqueline, dutifully, does as she's told, and Jacqueline will follow Joe into another room. This is where it gets a little creepy. It's the doll room. There are hundreds and hundreds of dolls dressed in Native costumes from all over the world. Joe Kennedy will tell Jacqueline... Many of these dolls were given to me when I was ambassador to Great Britain. I used to bring Gloria Swanson to this doll room. She liked to make love here. Let me tell you, Jacqueline, that woman was insatiable. Okay, so it started out pretty bad. But Papa Joe is going to keep talking, sparing no detail of his scandalous affair with Gloria Swanson to Jacqueline, Joe will include a description of Gloria Swanson's genitals and how many times that she was able to climax in a night. And now, Jacqueline, who was raised with her dad doing the same, probably has heard worse. Maybe not anything that's definitely going to shock her. Papa Joe and Jacqueline will talk a little longer and eventually rejoin the movie. After the movie is over, Jack Kennedy will ask his friend, Morton Downey Jr., for his car to take Jacqueline to a party down at the Yacht Club. And Jack and Jackie are off. To clarify, yes, Morton Downey Jr. is the son of Morton Downey Sr., who is an American singer and popular entertainer. Also, the Downies are neighbors to the Kennedy family in Hyannisport. Morton Downey Sr. is known as the Irish Nightingale. He was popular back in the 1920s and 1930s, and Morton Downey Sr. and Papa Joe, big buddies and neighbors. So Morton Downey Sr. is at this party, and he will ask Joe what he talked about with Jacqueline when they went into the doll room. And Joe says that he was impressed by the way the young woman had stood up to him. Joe liked that. Joe will go on to say money. She talks straight to me. She makes a pathetic few bucks a week. Her old man gives her a $50 a month allowance and he can barely afford that. Her stepfather's in bad shape too. I told her if she married Jack, she wouldn't have anything to worry about. And if Jack didn't look after her properly, I would. That's happening between the dads. A little bit of an additional scandalous bit here. So Morton Downey Jr., son, loaned car to Jack, goes off with one of the Kennedy cousins to that same yacht party a little later. On the way home, Morton Downey Jr. spots his car, the car that has been borrowed, just parked ahead up on the ridge. Morton and the Kennedy cousins slow down the car a little bit. They'll turn the lights off and sneak up on Jack and Jacqueline. Morton Downey Jr. does the one-two surprise thing, only to find Jacqueline lying on her back with her dress bunched up above her thighs and her right leg slung across the seat. Jackie screams. Jack Kennedy, for his part, is down on the floor of the car. He will smack his head on the steering wheel coming up, and the excuse given is, oh, gosh, we lost the cigarette lighter in the car. I'm certain that you did, kids. This story will make it back around all over Hyannisport over the weekend and Papa Joe to Jack is like, way to go, son. This is more like it. Now, remember, this is the summertime, which is July. The election is happening this year. A little bit later, though, and Jack Kennedy will win his race in a landslide by 70,000 votes. Jack Kennedy is a magnetic force and even in this race, Henry Cabot Lodge calls Joe Kennedy and says, you're wasting your money. Papa Joe almost believes Henry Cabot Lodge, but will stick with faith in his son. And Jack's win becomes everything. Jack's winning in a landslide gives Joe the added courage and the added thoughts and ideas that, well, in fact, my son can do anything and everything. The thing I want you to know about this particular year, it is a grand old party Republican landslide. The Republicans win not only the White House, but the House and the Senate. Jack Kennedy is one of the lone Democrats who actually wins in this particular year. But July to election day in November, a long time. And Jacqueline, after the 4th of July weekend is sort of pushed aside within the campaign. Jack, after winning, will ask Jacqueline to the inauguration of Eisenhower, but then he won't reach out again. It's very hot-cold, cold-hot, and Jacqueline is growing impatient. Jackie will tell her mother, Janet, Jack's got to ask me to marry him. I'm going to call him. And Janet Auchincloss will say that's not smart. You must not look too anxious or too eager. You must keep yourself scarce. But Jackie is so not down with this because it's spring and remember she was supposed to be getting married to Johnny Houston, But that one's long done. But to add insult to injury, her baby sister, four years younger, Caroline Lee, will be married that spring. We've talked a little bit about Mama Janet and her relationship with Jacqueline. Let me go ahead and just set the stage here of what happens with Lee. Because when I talk about Janet being mean, Janet's mean. She will call her daughter Lee fat all the time. There are cows on the farm that they have in Virginia that Lee is able to see out of her window Lee's room looks out over the cow field. Jacqueline's room looks out over the bay and the boats and the water. So not great. Janet will actually call the cows that Lee gets to look at from her window. She will call the cows Jacqueline and Caroline. This is terrible. It's not a healthy, healthy family dynamic. Let's give a little bit of background on Lee and getting her to this point in the story. Remember, Janet remarried Hugh. They have estates on Long Island, in Virginia, and in Rhode Island. Lee will attend the Potomac School in Washington and then will go along to Miss Porter's School in Farmington, Connecticut. But Lee's grades are average, she doesn't like participating in sports. She doesn't give a hoot about rah rah ba. Here, Caroline Lee is having to go to the same institutions where your older sister was a star. Jacqueline was always the star. She was more studious, more athletic. All Lee hears is Jackie, 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 all the time. Every school, every teacher, her mother, every friend, like. Poor younger sibling living in the shadow of their superstar oldest sibling. Lee will attend Sarah Lawrence College for a year or so, but eventually land in about 1950 working as an assistant to the legendary editor Diana Vreeland over at Harper's Bazaar. Remember the summer of 1951 will bring that trip with her sister Jacqueline all over Europe They go to Paris, Rome, Florence, Venice, Madrid. And remember, Janet, Mama, has coordinated this trip so that Jacqueline will not take the Prix de Paris opportunity that she had been offered from winning that contest at Vogue. Instead, Jacqueline is babysitting her little sister on a grand tour of Europe. Now, the sisters will make it a lot of fun there's an extraordinary book released in 1974 called One Special Summer that uses Lee's words, her written diaries, and Jacqueline's drawings about this particular summer. I do have a copy of this book. It is one of my most treasured possessions, and we'll be talking about it on Patreon for all of our community over there in short order. So here you have Lee working. Her sister's four years older. In the land of Mama Janet, Jacqueline is now twenty four and not married. And Lee gets the idea that perhaps she can do something better than her sister. This will be Lee's first marriage <laughs> that happens april eighteenth, nineteen fifty three. April fifty three. Jacqueline, older sister, is a little disgruntled. She's a little mad. Jacqueline thinks that she naturally should be getting married first and now her baby sister Lee has outdone her. Who is Lee's groom? A prince. An illegitimate one but a prince nonetheless because Lee is marrying Michael Temple Canfield. He is a publishing executive. Michael Canfield is the adopted son of Cass Canfield but who could be Michael Canfield's birth parents. Here's where the illegitimate prince thing comes in. Because if you believe the rumors, which are probably most assuredly true in this case, Michael Canfield is the son of Prince George, Duke of Kent, and Kiki Preston. Prince George, Duke of Kent, is the uncle of Queen Elizabeth II, and Prince George dies in 1942 at the beginning of the war in a fairly shady way, not pertinent to this story, but Michael Canfield, groom of Lee, perhaps is a prince, although perhaps illegitimate. That April Saturday turns out gray, a little drizzly. Jacqueline is in a ballerina-length yellow chiffon dress, Everybody's packed in the car and headed to Holy Trinity Church, and she's trying to be happy for her sister, who could not be making Mama Janet any happier. I mean, Michael Canfield is a land, y'all. He has socially impeccable credentials. He's the adopted son of Harper and Brothers publisher Cass Canfield and his social register wife, Catsy. Michael, he's the perfect catch. He's tall and blonde and elegant, and although people will talk quietly about his love of the drink, which will end up ending that first marriage for Lee after a while, but not yet today. Today, in April 1953, everyone's still happy, except for Jacqueline, who is like, my younger sister is getting married, and I am going to be an old maid. At the ceremony, at the party afterward, everyone is asking Jacqueline about all the reports they're hearing of the romance between she and Jack Kennedy. And what does Jackie tell them? She says she's deeply in love with him and promises and compromises were made with his father in the doll room. She's ready to get the show started, but again, it's all very hot and cold. Jack Kennedy's friend Chuck Spaulding will observe about Jacqueline she wasn't sexually attracted to men unless they were dangerous like old black Jack it was one of those terribly obvious Freudian situations we all talked about it even Jack who didn't particularly go for Freud but who said that Jackie had a father crush quote unquote what was surprising was that Jackie who was so intelligent in other things didn't seem to have a clue about this one Lee, after her marriage, thinking all of her dreams are coming true, she and her illegitimate prince leave for London. Jacqueline is still at home, growing more and more insecure by the day. And through this, Jacqueline will become more and more dependent upon her mother, Janet. Mean Mama Janet doesn't object to this. She loves all of it. A helpless Jacqueline that she can boss around? Janet will tell her daughter where to shop for her clothes and how to do her hair and how often to see Jack and what exactly to say to him when Jack calls. Janet will even arrange for Jacqueline to go to England for the Washington Times-Herald to cover the forthcoming coronation of Queen Elizabeth. This would be June 2nd, 1953. Jackie will ask her mother, Should I see Jack before I leave? No, Janet will respond. Tell him you're busy and that you'll see him when you get back. Before her departure overseas for Queen Elizabeth's coronation, Jacqueline is staying with her friend Eileen Bowden. There is a night watchman who shows up at Eileen's South Audley Street flat in Mayfair. And the night watchman, has a cable for Miss Bouvier. Eileen signs for the cable, takes it to the bedroom where Jacqueline is lying on the bed reading a book that Jack had given her. Jackie will tear open the yellow envelope and say this is from Jack. Eileen will ask what does he say. He wants to know if I will marry him. Target acquired. And it is from this point that we will pick up our investigation next week when we get these kids finally engaged and then married on your next A Little bit of a programming shift, friends. Your next Dunday will be Tuesday, July the 12th. As much as I love the alliteration of Monday being your Dunday, your Dundays will be switching to Tuesday. Thank you everybody so much for tuning in and listening. Your kind emails, your reviews, your support here for the podcast, as well as on Patreon. I can't tell you how grateful I am for each and every one of you. Until we meet again, Tuesday, July the 12th, friends, stay curious and keep on investigating. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done Podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at podcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.dunanddun.com. See you next week, friends.